Welcome to Christ Church. The following is a homily from our Sunday morning gathering in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Enjoy. Good morning. I've always heard it said that there's a fine line between a long sermon and a hostage situation. I think it goes for the gospel message too, (laughs) at times. Israel is just like all of us. I say that because if you follow the book of Exodus in chapters 15, 16, and 17, the idea of unbelief, unbelief is put before us three times in a row. And one of the things being taught here in Exodus is how notoriously short our human memories actually are when it comes to remembering God's tremendous provision. The Israelites were complaining, right? Oh, why did you bring us out here? Why? To kill us with thirst. They prayed. God answered. He delivered them. They had some challenges. They got mad at God. They blamed Moses. Is that, that's like the Cliff's Notes version of this, right? <clears throat> but if you remember, he has provided everything for them. He split the Red Sea in two. He provided manna. He provided quail and now water. The point is that our natural inclination is not to faith. But especially when things get difficult, our natural inclination is to unbelief, which leads us to quarrel with one another and ultimately to test God. We experience that in our lives all the time, in our own wilderness journeys that we take. Now, while most of us are not going to necessarily need to cry out for bread and water, we grumble, we quarrel, we have moments of total distrust and impatience. Well, the good news of the gospel is that God's response to our unbelief is never what we think it should or would be. The good news is that God deals with Israel's fear by offering more grace. That's the reason that God tells Moses to take some of the elders with him so that there can be a public display of God's provision. He wants everyone to take notice. Now, with everyone looking, he strikes the rock with the same staff that turned the Nile into blood, and water shoots out like a fountain. God provides for us in the same way. He always does. He provides us with Christ. Paul even tells us that it is Christ in his letter to the Corinthians. And he continues to provide for us, forgiving us, feeding us, refreshing us for the long journey ahead. And just like Jesus promises, whoever drinks from him will never be thirsty. Now this is a story of incredible grace. No matter how you've handled your life, how you've cried out to God How poorly you have prayed to God, God has mercy and saves you. One tradition of the church is that the rock in this story is Christ, a type of Christ. 
You come with your bad prayers, your sinful heart, your petty attitude, your small mind, your weak faith. You hit the rock. Christ is crucified. We smash him with all our bad stuff. And this living water pours out for us. Now we can see this continued in our reading from Romans. What we have here is God's agenda for the whole world. What God has dreamed and made a reality in the death, resurrection, and ascension of his son. That Christ should come die for the ungodly, the sinners, and for his enemies. In his death, we are totally justified before God. And before I go on, just remember that all of us are the ungodly, the sinners. That's why God sent Jesus And also what this means, and this may shock you from an Episcopal priest, it's the blood that covers you. We don't talk about that much, do we? It is the blood of Jesus that covers all of the things you have done. And Really, this whole story is nothing more than grace rolling downhill and just encompassing everything. Maybe you had a big fight with your spouse. Maybe your kids don't want to come to church today. Maybe you're having trouble with a job, or really maybe you're involved with something you can't even admit to another human being. Well, the good news of the gospel is that God doesn't see your sin anymore. He sees the blood of his son, that perfect life in your place. Now, even though your sins may be great and they may be overwhelming, the blood of Jesus is always greater He becomes your sin in his death, and by his blood you are declared righteous, innocent, holy, and blameless before God. We can also see this story playing out in our lesson from John. Now, I'm going to ask for a show of hands. How many of you have heard this story about the woman at the well, about this loose woman who made horrible decisions in her life? It's okay, raise your hand. Look around. Keep your hands up and look around, really. That is categorically wrong. It is 100% wrong. It doesn't say that in the text. It doesn't say anything about her choices in life. It doesn't say that, but we have inferred that, and there is so much energy on that fact that she did all these bad things. Women at that time needed, had, they had no legal recourse if they weren't married, and she had been divorced because the men had divorced her because she couldn't do it. You know what she is, though? She's a real sinner, a real human being. She has had several husbands, and she, like us, has known great pain, and she's hiding. There's a part of her life that she doesn't want Jesus to see. Well, Jesus knows everything that you've done. But he still loves you. Christ dies for the ungodly. Remember, that's us. For the sinners, but that's not how the world sees it, right? The world sees us as having to go out and seek righteousness on our own. Find our own thing. And that thirst for righteousness is a thirst that ultimately the law cannot quench. 
So she has gone from relationship to relationship. We do know that. And she's also an illustration. Here she is all by herself in the heat of the day. She's there. She's thirsty. And she realizes that the law can only get you so far. And what Jesus does, this is so incredible. He comes in and he diagnoses her. He says, you're still thirsty. You're always going to be thirsty. My friends, here's the thing. The cure for spiritual thirst is never just do more. Be better. Do other things. But rather, it's Jesus in his gospel alone. The good news of Jesus' blood shed for the Samaritan woman. The good news of Jesus' blood shed for you that fills our baptismal fonts. And in that water makes living promises from God that declares God and Jesus, does not come to shame or condemn you, or even try to have you get your own water. But instead, God in Jesus has redeemed your past, like that lady at the well, present and future. He has covered you with his righteousness. He's made you holy, despite your struggles, through waters, has rescued you from the wilderness of sin and death which ties directly back to the reading from Exodus. Jesus doesn't care one bit about our ethnicities, about our gender, or our identities. He has come so that you might stop striving for your own identity and drink deeply from the gospel, the good news of the water, that when you're touched by that, you will never thirst again. Leave your identity at the door. Some of you may know this, some of you may not, but the the doors over here in the courtyard are red. Okay? When you walk through those red doors, it is in part a representation of the blood of Christ. You pass by the font, we pass through those waters, and he shares his identity with no one else. He has given you an identity that declares you righteous and makes you brand new and that you might live fully into who he is and who he has said about you, not what the world has said about you. Now that's the problem with the Samaritan woman. She is living with what the world has said about her and what she believes about herself. I don't know if you've ever done that, but that is a crushing feeling when you live by what the world has said about you. Our own identities end in death. What we need is an identity apart from ourselves that brings us from death into everlasting life, which only the gospel can give. 